friends, welcome to the Highland Church Podcast. We believe that you were made for God's mission. We encourage you to check out our website, highlandcc.org, where you can learn more about what you are called to in Christ Jesus. Let's hear a message today that we hope will challenge, encourage you, and ultimately help you to grow and identify your purpose in the plan of God. Would you look with me at Mark chapter 9? We're going to continue our series on the good news of Jesus, and we're in Mark 9, Verse 30, if you don't have a Bible with you, don't worry about it. The words will be on the screen behind us. If you're joining us online, the words will be on the screen. Thanks for being here with us today. We're in Mark. It's the second book in the New Testament. We're just working our way through the story of Jesus, the good news. We're in Mark chapter 9, verse 30 today. From there, Jesus and his followers went through Galilee, but he didn't want anyone to know it. This was because he was teaching his disciples that the human one, sorry, the Son of Man, will be delivered into human hands. They will kill him. And three days after he is killed, he will rise up. They didn't understand this kind of talk. And they were afraid to ask him. And they entered Capernaum, and when they had come into a house, he asked them, what were you arguing about during the journey? And they didn't respond since on the way they'd been debating with each other about who was the greatest. And he sat down and he called the 12 and he said to them, whoever wants to be first must be the least of all and the servant of all. And Jesus reached for a little child. He placed him among the 12 and he embraced him. And then he said, whoever welcomes one of these children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me isn't actually welcoming me, but rather the one who sent me. I'm watching all my favorite movies from childhood with my boys. And this week we watched The Princess Bride. (laughs) And uh, I love that movie. I'll confess something. Every time I perform a wedding, I'm tempted to say, marriage. (laughs) Marriage is what brings us together today. But... You never, like that joke, you know, it's not the atmosphere for that. And the Princess Bride starts with this boy. He's sick. He's home from school. He's in his bed. Mom comes in and says, your granddad's coming over today. Spend the day with you. And <clears throat> granddad walks in the door and he's got a book in his hand, The Princess Bride. And he says, my father read this book to me and I read it to your father. Today, I'm going to read it to you. The boy looks at him and he says, uh, Does it got any sports in it? He says, are you kidding? It's got fencing and fighting, torture, revenge, giants, monsters, chases, escapes, true love, miracles. (sighs) Doesn't sound too bad. I'll try to stay awake, he says. And then the grandpa starts reading, and he gets about two minutes into the story, and the story starts with Wesley and Buttercup falling in love, and they embrace under a, and under a sunset. And the boy stops his grandfather, and he says, hold it, hold it. What is this? Are you trying to trick me? Is this one of those kissing books? He says, wait, wait, the son's grandson, when does it get good? But he keeps reading, and eventually it gets good. And I won't tell you the end of The Princess Bride. For the record, it's as old as I am, and you've had a while to see it. (laughs) But eventually the story gets good. 
In fact, he gets so good that this boy who wants his grandpa to stop reading at the beginning, by the time the grandpa ends the story and he reads those last two words, the end, and closes the book and stands up to walk out the door, the boy looks up at his grandpa and he says, Grandpa, do you think maybe you could come back and read it to me again tomorrow? Grandpa says, as you wish. There are stories that we don't like until we do. There are stories that we don't want to be a part of until we do. And when Jesus says that he's going to be betrayed, handed over, and killed, and only then rise again, he's telling a story. Now, it's not a fiction. It's not a story like The Princess Bride. And it's not a parable like he's been known to tell before. This is his story, a true story. And it's a story like that line from John 16, 33, that in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. It's a story that just like that line has this reversal in it. What the disciples want, what they desire for Jesus is the story that goes from greatness to greatness to greatness. And instead, this story is going to go from greatness to leastness. It's going to go from top, Lord of all, to death as a criminal. And only then to reverse again back to greatness and resurrection. We're told they don't understand this story. They're afraid of this story, which is to say they don't like this story. This is not the story that they want for him, and it is not the story they want for them. We don't want our lives to have these unexpected turns, <laughs> these unexpected reversals. We like fiction that works like that. We don't like life that works like that. And we know they don't like this story because of the conversation that they're having that we're told just a little bit about on the, on the way home. Jesus tells them this story about how his life is going to play out. And then they're like, hey, uh, Thomas, you know I'm the greatest, don't you? Thomas is like, what are you talking about? Everybody here knows that I'm the greatest. And Peter's like, guys, do you know who I am? I'm Peter. I've always thought I was the greatest. <laughs> what do you, who do you guys think that you are? That's the conversation they're having. Which is, I mean, we kind of laugh as we imagine that conversation, the ridiculousness of that conversation. But there's something true about that. It's this window into human nature. We want our lives to be predictable, to be measurable, to be comparable. We want our life to go from good to great to greater. And they get there and Jesus says, him. He says, whoever wants to be first must be least of all and servant of all. Or what he's saying is, my story isn't just my story, it's yours. It must be yours. <clears throat> Tim Keller has this new book, Hope 
in times of fear. And he does this, this section on what's called the great reversal. And the great reversal is what we see in the life of Jesus. This is the greatest of all reversals of any story ever told. Lord most high to death is a criminal. This reversal, this turning of the world upside down. And then the reversal again from death is a criminal to Lord of all. That in this reversal of everything we expect, everything we value, everything we want for ourselves, in the life of Jesus we see what's probably going to be true of our own lives, what must be, Jesus says. And so what we call that reversal in the life of Jesus is the great reversal. And so what Killer says is, let me, let me help you get a sense of how great this reversal is. He says, imagine that you brought together a group of people who went to the best universities, who managed the most successful political campaigns, who were the, the managers of stars, who had wild amounts of fame, and you brought all those people into the same room, and you told those people, I brought you here today because I want to be the greatest. I want to be remembered, not for decades, not for centuries. I want to be remembered millennia from now. I want schools to be named after me. I want hospitals to be named after me. I want people to give all their money away because of me. I want my name to be on people's lips when they get up in the morning and when they go to sleep at night. That's what I want. How do I do it? Probably they'd be like, this guy's got some problems. But here's what they would not say. Oh, you should be born in obscurity you should avoid getting involved in any of the powerful political, economic, academic networks. You should be tragically killed then in your early 30s, and that'll do it. Right? I mean, there's this, this window into the fact that we know what it takes to be great. We know the path to greatness. And yet somehow Jesus accomplishes all of those things I just said, and his path is the absolute reverse of it, of everything we think we know about greatness. Nearly the exact opposite. So here's the thing. You know, you hear this, this argument among the disciples about who is greatest, which is to say they don't like this story for Jesus. They certainly don't like it for themselves. This is not how they want their life to go. And we are reminded that the first people that Jesus drew to him were not people that were just naturally humble, naturally selfless, not just the kind who would just gladly go the second mile, glad, gladly give you their tunic. These are people who want to be great. We want to be a big deal. But you want to see something fascinating? The first glimpse that we get of what the early church believed after Jesus dies, is raised, and leaves to heaven, the first glimpse we get is a word about the great reversal. Let me show you what I mean. In Philippians 2, Paul points to a song. Now, think about this for a second. Paul's trying to convince the Philippian church to be humble, to go from greatness to leastness because their pride is causing them to fight. There's two women, Yodia and Syndicate, fighting, and there ain't no fight like a fight between two women, okay? 
And so he's trying to get him to be humble. And this is what he says. He says, you remember that song that you sing sometimes? And that's in Philippians 2. Now think about it. If you're a preacher, and I know none of you want to be preachers, and I don't blame you for that, but if you were a preacher and you wanted to preach a sermon about grace, and you wanted to convince the people in your congregation that they should be gracious because God is gracious, what you first got to do is convince them that God is gracious. And there's two ways I could do that. I could spend an hour reading through all the passages on how gracious God is, or I could say, y'all know that song we sing sometimes, Amazing Grace? And instantly, you'd agree, oh yeah, our God is amazingly gracious. He saves wretches like me. Why, why would that work? Because you've sung that song a gajillion times. You've already decided this song is true. It is woven into your consciousness. So when Paul wants to prove a point in Philippians that they should be humble people, aren't pursuing greatness, but leastness, this is what Paul says. He says, you remember that song that you've been singing? This is the song. Listen to it. You should adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God. He didn't consider being equal with God something to exploit. He emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, becoming like human beings. It's that reversal. And when he found himself in the form of a human, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, a criminal's death. That reversal. And therefore, God highly honored him and gave him the name that is above all names, so that at the name of Jesus, uh, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay, that song was beaten sung before Paul wrote the letters of the New Testament. This is the earliest glimpse we get to what the early Christians thought was the most important thing. They had written songs about it. What's the most important thing about Jesus? The reversal. That he goes from greatest to least for you and me. And so Jesus tells these disciples who do not want this story of greatness to leastness to be their story. And he says to them, Whoever wants to be first must be least of all and servant of all. So when Paul says that what we preach at church is foolishness to the world, this is what he's talking about. We want to be great. And we know how to reach greatness. And Jesus says, that is not going to be your story. Your story is going to look like the opposite. Some of you may have followed recently the story of the divorce of billionaire philanthropists Bill and Melinda Gates. And my pulpit is not a gossip column. I not followed the details of that divorce. I'm not going to get into it here. But I will share this. I was struck in a column I read about their divorce by this line. This is what the columnist said. He said, 
For those of us who admired the moral power of a single married couple using their disproportionate wealth to save untold numbers of lives around the world, the details of the marital fallout make me wonder if we've been played. Played? Tricked? Betrayed? How so? Only because we believe that to be great like that must be great. And that to have that kind of greatness must filter down into every other area of your life. And surely we should aspire to that kind of greatness. We have all desired that. And if we could just have that, that would be great. How could a marriage fall apart with that kind of greatness? Right? It just speaks to what our world values and believes the story they're telling. One of my favorite musicians is Ben Rector. And you've heard Ben Rector, even if you think you haven't. Uh, a couple years ago, we had our 90th anniversary as a church, and Russ put together this awesome video that used Ben Rector's song, Old Friends. You remember that? Yeah, all right, that was Ben Rector. Ben Rector's this great musician, sells out concerts. Um, you know what I've been told? I've been told that he ends every concert one of his sold-out shows, with this song. The song about the men who drive him places. Have you heard this song? He sings about this guy named Howard. And Howard is the guy who's picked him up from the cruise ship he's been on in Fort Lauderdale and is driving Ben Rector, this great musician, to the airport. And he's talking about sitting in the back seat and watching Howard as Howard drives. He's got this old flip phone, and he's doing business on this old flip phone with the most obnoxious ringtone, he says. And then he starts talking. Howard does. He says he spoke proudly of his daughter and that this fall she'd be in college and that he always wished he'd gotten his degree. And you can tell he came from nothing, made his future out of hustling. And somehow I'm the one you people pay to see. Oh, isn't that just the way it goes? You're dealt a good hand and you get celebrated. Oh, how am I the only one who knows I'm half the man of the men who drive me places? Oh, that's good. And what he's speaking to there is that we know. We have this suspicion that the story tells, the story our world tells, tells you and me about what it means to be great. Greatness upon greatness upon greatness. We know it's really not that good of a story. And especially when life knocks you down a couple pegs, and you go through difficulty, then what you hope is that that story is not true at all. Then in that moment, what you hope more than anything else in the world is that the story of Jesus, of the great reversal, of turning our weakness to his strength, our lowness to his might, our worthlessness to his glory, you'll hope that story is true. You'll give anything in that moment for that story to keep being read over you.
And here's the thing. Jesus says, this is the story. It is not only my story, it is and must be yours. We lost a sweet, sweet sister, Julie Chester, a few weeks ago. Julie, the wife of our longtime worship minister, Jim Chester, leads in our chapel service. You know, Julie wasn't five foot. Jim just said in there, he said she was 4'11 on a good day. She was so small. If you know Miss Julie, you'll know she was quiet. She, her job for years and years, she was the librarian at Harding Academy, which by definition is a job that means quiet. In fact, her students and her, her family testified at her memorial that, that she was known for just a couple words. Well, honey, let's look that up. Let's look that up. And so she would go and direct them to some resource where they could find the answer to her questions, which is to say, Miss Julie did not imagine that she had the answer. She was simply the one who was pointing to where you could find them. You know that for years and years, her and Jim, every night they have prayed for you all at their bedside. They would sit on either side in their chairs, just, just praying over you all updating each other on so-and-so had surgery and so-and-so's a marriage. I think it's going to be okay updating each other on their prayer list every night. And that is not the kind of thing this world celebrates. Not the kind of thing. But I was there on the night she passed at the hospital with Jim. Several of our shepherds managed to sneak into the hospital that night, and David Jackson, one of our shepherds, was there. I'll never forget he puts his hand on Jim's shoulder and he says, Jim, Miss Julie may be pretty little, but she will not be remembered that way. She will not be remembered that way. It's the great reversal. And it's a good story. It's yours. This, just a couple days ago, nine of our young people got baptized at Camp Island. They took on the Lord in baptism. Their sins were washed away, and they became new people in the waters of Christ. And they were baptized into a story. And we all want our kids, we want those kids to do, to do great things to chase your dreams. You know what I want them to do? Little things. I want them to be servants of all because that is the story that's now theirs. Amen? Amen. We take the Lord's Supper every Sunday. It's the time when we remember that story but the Lord of all became nothing, died on a Roman cross that you and I might have life. Now talk about a reversal, life after death. Hallelujah. Let's pray together as we take that meal. Lord, 
you are the God most high. And your son at your right hand descended and became like us. Became nothing, God, we're told, that we might be something. Died that we might have life. Who are we, God, to pursue greatness when you have called us to be least? Give us the strength for that reversal of our own fortunes, that reversal of our own values, our own desires. Give us the strength for that in the body and blood of your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.